0: Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chenyu Wu. Let's take a look at our top stories. A new plan from the special master reviewing Trump's Mar-a-Lago documents after he was blocked from seeing materials marked classified. Avoiding gender-specific terms like mom and dad, the US Air Force Academy is reportedly telling cadets to refrain from using such terms and is training some cadets as diversity representatives. Primary elections are over, and 15 incumbent members of Congress lost within their own party. What does this say about election trends this year? Heading into midterm elections, four Senate races are considered toss-ups. One of them is in Arizona, which could determine which party controls the Senate. There's a new plan for the Trump Mar-a-Lago document review. It's after an appeals court blocked the special master judge and former President Trump's lawyers from accessing documents with classified markings. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on the special master's new plan.
1: Special master Judge Raymond Deary outlined his new plan Thursday now that he cannot access documents marked classified. The plan starts with having a government official swear that the government properly listed items taken from Trump's home. Trump could respond to the list if he thinks it's incorrect, then the government could respond. Deary said it's Trump's last chance to raise any factual dispute about the inventory list. Trump's lawyers have until next Friday to respond. Deary also said the government may need to return some of the seized materials. But his plan isn't a done deal. Trump and the DOJ can now object to components of the plan. Although Judge Deary and Trump's lawyers cannot review materials marked classified, they're still poised to review each page of the non-classified materials. There are roughly 11,000 of them. Deary's hired some help to speed up the process. He tapped a retired federal judge with top-secret security clearance to help review the documents. Deary said his helper should be paid $500 per hour. Trump's paying for all the costs connected to the special master's work. Meanwhile, some top Republican senators are disagreeing with Trump's handling of documents. Trump told Fox News he believes he handled records appropriately and could declassify material just just by thinking about about it. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton agrees with Trump, but several senators don't.
2: There's a process for declassifying documents, um, and, uh, and I think it ought to be adhered to and followed. As I understand the, uh, the executive branch requirements, there is a process that one
3: must go through.
1: Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has mostly declined to comment. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has defended Trump through the process. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: The Hungarian foreign minister says Hungary had its best relationship with the U.S. under former President Trump. He said that it would likely resume if Trump were re-elected as president.
4: Uh, But we have to be honest, if you look at the relationship, the political relationship uh, under conservative or Republican administration and under Democratic administration, there's a big change or there's a there's a big difference. Uh, under um, the term of President Trump, uh, we had the best ever political relationship between the two countries. Best ever relationship. Uh, we respect President Trump uh, a lot.
0: Foreign Minister Peter Zierto spoke to Fox News at the United Nations. Hungary has one of the main conservative governments in Europe. Diarto says it's not accurate when other European countries criticize Hungary as not being democratic enough. He says they view a country as democratic only when it has liberal policies. He told Fox News that other leaders in Europe don't like Hungary's successful, conservative-run democracy. The U.S. Air Force Academy is reportedly advising students to use gender-neutral terms and avoid words like mom and dad. This is allegedly part of a diversity and inclusion training.
5: Republican Congressman Mike Waltz from Florida reportedly shared documents with Fox News detailing a diversity and inclusion training at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado. This is one of the slides that instructs cadets not to use gender-specific terms like mom and dad and boyfriend or girlfriend. When addressing multiple people, they shouldn't use the term you guys but "squatties," for example. The Academy said in a statement that it doesn't prohibit the use of gender-specific terms. Representative Waltz is a Green Beret and an Afghan war veteran. He told Fox News that this strives towards gender neutrality and that the Air Force should be worried about the macro-aggressions against America that are happening all over the world. The Academy says training like this can help them win battles. USAFA develops leaders of character that can lead diverse teams of airmen and guardians inclusively to enhance innovation and win future conflict. Some cadets can go through a special training to receive a purple rope to wear across their left shoulder. This indicates that they're a diversity representative who can advise other students. A memo from last year reportedly said the Academy wants to create champions of dignity and respect for a more inclusive climate in the cadet wing. Representative Waltz said this appears to be creating a separate, parallel chain of command. To those of us who are a little bit older, it reminds us of what the Soviets used to do or what the Chinese do today, where they literally have political commissars inserted at every level end of the chain of command, but they have a separate reporting chain to ensure that the military is abiding by their ideology and their political doctrine. And according to the news outlets, the Academy is also advising students to apply for the Brooke Owens Fellowship. The fellowship indicates that it doesn't accept cisgendered males. An application document states that women, transgenders and others can apply. But if you are a cisgender man, this program isn't for you. The fellowship says they have a spin-off program for those men.
0: And staying on the topic of midterms, both parties are competing for control of the Senate this year. And the race over in Arizona could take center stage. Here are the details.
6: In the U.S. Senate, 35 seats out of 100 are up for re-election on November 8th. Democrats currently control 14 of them and Republicans control 21. The Cook Political Report considers 15 of the 35 seats solid Republican and nine of them solid Democrat. Three on each side lean Democrat and Republican, and only one is likely Republican. Only four are considered a toss-up. These toss-up seats have drawn the nation's eyes as they'll determine who controls the Senate going into 2023. One of those seats is in Arizona. Republican candidate Blake Masters hopes to unseat incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. From 1952 to just before the 2020 elections, Arizona was considered a reliably red state. But in the November 2020 elections, Kelly defeated then-Republican incumbent Martha McSally by 2.4 percent. And this year, Emerson College polling on September 9th showed Kelly at 47 percent, Masters at 45 percent, and 5 percent of voters were undecided. According to the Federal Election Commission, Kelly's campaign has trounced Masters in both contributions and spending. Kelly raised just over $54 million and spent close to $31 million. Masters raised just under $5 million and spent just over $3.4 million. Kelly contributed nothing from his personal funds, while Masters contributed just over $14,000. Part of the discrepancy is because up until the Republican primary, Masters ran against four other Republicans while Kelly ran unopposed. Masters, who has former President Trump's endorsement, won the Republican nomination with 39 percent of the vote. He is a political newcomer but worked on Trump's transition team in 2016. According to his campaign website, Masters is running to help fix a broken Washington and declining America. And on the other hand, 538 reported that Kelly voted in line with President Biden's position 94 percent of the time. He has voted in favor of increasing Affordable Care Act subsidies, expanding firearm regulations, and vaccine mandates.
0: Going back stateside, primaries have just wrapped up, and some states have begun early voting for the general election. How have incumbent members of Congress done in the primaries? Let's take a look.
7: Fifteen incumbents in Congress lost within their own party during the recently completed primary cycle. This number is nearly double those who lost to party rivals in the 2020 primaries, and the highest since the 1980s. Among the 15 defeated incumbents are nine Republicans and six Democrats. But according to analysis by OpenSecrets.org, this is not evidence of an emerging trend among incumbent members of Congress. The bigger picture is that sitting members of the House and the Senate rarely lose re-election bids. Analysis shows that incumbents in Congress have an over 90% percent reelection rate and it was 94.72% in this year's primaries. The Brookings Institute's Primaries Project and Elections Analytics site, 538 also did their own analysis. They found out that of 31 incumbent senators running for re-election, 19 of them advanced without primary challenges. And in terms of House races, analysis showed that more than 100 House incumbents advanced without a primary challenge. Only 284 city members, or 64% of the House, were primaried just 15 of them failed to be renominated. The 2022 primaries followed the 2020 census data, which altered more than 360 of the 435 House districts. Across the nation, redistricting essentially baked in advantages for incumbents. 94% of U.S. House districts are considered safe for one party or the other. The Cook Political Report only rates 31 House races as competitive, Elaine Kamar, coordinator of the Brookings Institute Primaries Project, commented on the primaries earlier this month. She said, there is a trend in more incumbents being challenged in primaries by party rivals, but the fact that few succeed remains a constant. She added, quote, this trend is a testament to the increasing polarization of our politics, the increasing strength of factions within each political party, and the realization that contesting primaries was a very cost-effective way of changing political parties.
0: Democrats introduced a proposal Thursday that would restrict senior government officials, including lawmakers, Supreme Court justices and their families, from trading stocks. The framework proposes strengthening disclosure requirements and increasing fines from $200 to $1,000 for every 30-day period that a person is in violation of the rules. Lawmakers' ability to trade stocks have been the subject of increasing scrutiny over the years. The New York Times reported that almost one-fifth of Congress traded stocks in a company that their committee oversees between 2019 and 2021. Several were criticized for their financial transactions during the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, when members of Congress received briefings that warned of an impending financial crash. A long-awaited draft for the legislation is expected next week. Similar proposals have bipartisan support, and Democratic leadership has been criticized for the delay. A new report from a government watchdog found that the FDA may have sacrificed quality for speed in their rush to authorize the COVID-19 test early in the pandemic. The report from the Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General was published online Wednesday. In the first five months of the pandemic, the FDA issued more than 100 emergency use authorizations for COVID-19 diagnostic and antibody tests. According to the IG report, the rush to authorize tests resulted in some problematic tests being used. Once those tests were on the market, the FDA had to take further action to address the issue. The Office of the Inspector General recommended that the FDA, quote, assess and, as appropriate, revise guidance for test EUA submissions. Coming up, a baby born with a rare disorder just celebrated his first birthday. Doctors performed a dramatic surgery to save his life. Hurricane Fiona is heading towards Canada, and it could be one of the worst storms to hit the country's east coast in recent years. An unmanned boat Thursday captured dramatic footage of wild waves as Fiona loomed towards Bermuda. Video taken by SailDrone showed the Category 4 hurricane as the machine battled 50-foot waves and winds over 100 miles per hour. Hurricane Fiona is tracking northward after carving a destructive path through the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. It's expected to bring very strong winds, heavy rainfall and floods in several provinces in eastern Canada when it makes landfall this weekend. Alaska's governor speaks after a storm wrecks the state's western coastline. Damage to homes, roads and other infrastructure is revealed as floodwaters recede.
5: It's a race
6: against time because unlike the tropics or unlike uh, places such as Florida or Puerto Rico, we don't have the luxury of waiting because this freeze up is going to happen. And so everyone knows that and the urgency is there. No
0: one was reported injured or killed during the massive storm. It hit Alaska and traveled north through the Bering Strait over the weekend. It flooded communities dotting Alaska's vast western coast. Authorities are contacting some of the most remote villages to determine if they need food or water and assess the damage. The governor said residents are dealing with the storm aftermath extremely well and are helping each other in in the recovery. About 21,000 people live in the small communities along the 1,000-mile stretch that was hit by the storm. Aerospace giant Boeing and its former CEO Dennis Mullenberg have agreed to pay hefty fines for misleading the public about the 737 MAX. The Securities and Exchange Commission says the company in Mullenberg misled the public about the jet's safety after two fatal crashes in 2018 and 2019. The agency says after a 2018 crash that killed 189 people, Boeing and Muhlenberg knew part of the flight control system posed a safety concern, but told the public the jet was safe. After a 2019 fatal crash, the SEC says Boeing and Muhlenberg misled the public about issues in the certification process of the flight control system. The company in Muhlenberg agreed to settle charges of violating anti-fraud provisions of U.S. securities laws, but didn't admit or deny the allegations. Boeing agreed to pay a $200 million settlement. Mullenberg agreed to pay $1 million. A passenger who punched a flight attendant mid-flight Wednesday is under arrest. Cell phone video captured part of the incident which occurred on an American Airlines flight between Cabo and Los Angeles. The man is charged with interference with flight crew members. The video appears to show him punching a flight attendant in the back of the head. The flight attendant was taken to the hospital after the plane landed. The assailant was detained by passengers for the rest of the flight, who restrained him with seat belt extenders. He's expected to appear in court on Monday. More than two dozen people in Illinois are charged with fraudulently obtaining pandemic relief money. Authorities say some of them used the money to pay bond and free themselves from jail. The police chief says 25 people have been charged in a scheme to get payroll protection program checks without operating actual businesses. Fifteen of those people were arrested by Wednesday. An investigation found that some of the defendants were inmates at the Will County Jail when they applied for and received Paycheck Protection Program loans. They then used the money to pay bond for their felony cases. They used jail phones to complete the application process. They face various charges, including wire fraud, theft, and loan fraud. Authorities said each fraudulently fraudulently obtained loan was between $19,000 and $20,000, with the fraud costing taxpayers upwards of $500,000 in total. Over $45 billion in pandemic unemployment benefits may have been fraudulently paid out. That's according to a report from the U.S. Department of Labor, which identified widespread schemes to steal money from a variety of federal relief programs. The potentially fraudulent payments have been tied to people filing in multiple states, using social security numbers for people who are deceased and ineligible federal prisoners. The fraud reportedly skyrocketed after Congress expanded the unemployment benefits program during the pandemic. More than 1,000 people have been charged with crimes involving unemployment benefits fraud since March 2020. There have been more than 400 convictions. Doctors performed a dramatic surgery to save a baby. The infant was born with a rare, life-threatening disorder that left him unable to breathe. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the life-saving procedure.
2: Months before Iden Martin was born, a sonogram showed his windpipe was blocked he would die at birth if doctors didn't take action.
7: We got an ultrasound that was suspicious for it, and we followed that up with an MRI, which gets better imaging, um, to show that there really was a a true blockage of the airway in Aiden before before he was born.
2: A team of surgeons at NYU Langone had to deliver him with a special kind of C-section. They opened his airway midway through, while he was still attached to the umbilical cord. The father recounts that the procedure took a
7: while, She's still in there. It's hours now. Like, what happened? So as the time lingered on, different things started running through my head. And then when I seen her, I was like, okay, she's alive, she's awake. And then they said, come back downstairs and talk to the doctors. The birth
2: defect also enlarged the baby's lungs, putting pressure on his heart. So he needed additional emergency care to survive.
7: We were able to do what we call ECMO or bypass. We were able to sort of help his heart and lungs rest while he continues to have circulation um, to make sure that he stays safe.
2: Aiden was born in August, 2021 with a very rare condition known as chaos, short for congenital high airway obstruction syndrome. These babies almost always die from lack of oxygen if doctors don't intervene. The highly complex procedure was just the first step. After 11 months and several surgeries, Aiden was able to go home and celebrate his first birthday, but he still faces a long recovery. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: The Department of Transportation is creating a new map of the nation's time zones. An internal review found that they don't currently have a single map that accurately shows time zones and each local observance of daylight saving time. The DOT handles keeping up with the clock because time is important to travel. But they found several sources of time information on their own website contained errors. Officials are now working to create a new map. They wanted to accurately show the boundaries of local daylight saving times nationwide. The IG says the issue came to light after the U.S. Senate passed legislation this year making daylight saving time permanent. The House and the White House haven't followed up on the bill. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, the United Nations condemns Russia's plans to annex parts of Ukraine. The U.N. General Secretary said it violates both the U.N. Charter and international law. And Russians are fleeing their country following President Putin's order that 300,000 more citizens would have to join the fight in Ukraine. That and more in just a minute. leaders at the United Nations on Thursday called for Moscow to be held accountable for human rights violations in Ukraine. That's as Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, defended Moscow's war. And UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres had a warning for Russia.
1: Any annexation of a state's territory by another state resulting from a threat or use of force is a violation of the UN Charter and of international law.
8: Russia said it plans to hold referendums in the upcoming days in parts of Ukraine it seized since the start of its invasion some seven months ago. Those territories comprise almost 15% of Ukraine. On Wednesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced plans to call up some 300,000 reservists for combat and made a thinly veiled threat to use nuclear weapons to defend the country. Guterres said nuclear threats were unacceptable. Much of the Security Council meeting Thursday focused on alleged atrocities committed in Ukraine.
4: When I went to Busha and went behind St. Andrew's Church, the bodies I saw were not fake.
8: International Criminal Court Prosecutor Karim Khan told the council that there were, quote, reasonable grounds to believe crimes within the jurisdiction of the court had been committed in Ukraine. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told the Security Council of a mass grave where victims showed signs of torture.
9: One site contains some 440 unmarked graves. A number of the bodies unearthed there so far, reportedly show signs of torture, including one victim with broken arms and a rope around his neck.
8: Russia denies committing war crimes as part of what it terms a, quote, special military operation. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov defended his country's military actions, claiming that Ukraine, in fact, had sparked the conflict by threatening Russia and repeating Moscow's justifications for sending their forces into their smaller neighbor.
10: Everything I've said uh, today simply confirms that the decision to conduct the special military operation was uh, inevitable.
8: A Lavrov left after speaking. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba spoke to reporters ahead of the Security Council meeting.
0: Some Russian men are heading swiftly to the country's borders. It follows President Putin's order calling up 300,000 army reservists to fight in the war. Traffic at border crossings in Finland and Georgia is surging, and prices for air tickets from Moscow are skyrocketing. Here's the story.
4: Border traffic intensified overnight Thursday as some Russian men rushed for the exits after President Vladimir Putin's call for partial mobilization, drafting 300,000 reservists. At Russia's border with Georgia, video obtained by Reuters showed traffic Wednesday night. For some like Ivan, The crossing took up to 12 hours. I think the Russian border guards are letting people through very slowly. For example, yesterday before midnight, you could cross the border much more quickly. After midnight, either lots of cars arrived at the border, or they started to work more slowly. It was a similar scene on the border with Finland. One man named Nikita said he was afraid to be called up for war. I'm afraid. (laughs) Asked why by a reporter, he said because the mobilization is a big mistake for Russia, Europe and for Ukrainian people. Putin's Wednesday announcement raised fears that some men of fighting age would not be allowed to leave the country. Prices soared above $5,000 for one-way plane tickets to the nearest foreign locations, with most sold out completely for coming days. Alex was one of the arrivals at Istanbul airport.
8: I didn't believe that uh, the, the next step will be mobilization. and. Uh I feel that not really many lots of Russian people want to to fight and want to be mobilized and want to go to the army.
4: Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky warned Russian citizens that the war was now arriving at their doorsteps. In a call with reporters, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that news of men leaving the country was simply an exaggeration.
0: Brewers in Russia are turning to local markets for hops and equipment. They're striving to keep the beers flowing in spite of Western sanctions against the country.
9: Russian brewers face an opportunity and a challenge. Sanctions on the country have seen most Western rivals depart. While that means a chance to grow domestic sales, it's also creating problems with imported ingredients. Hops, which give beer much of its flavor, are one big issue. Imports aren't banned, but sanctions on payment methods and snarled up logistics mean they're hard to get. Khmeliov is one Russian beer maker. Director Sergei Barinov says he's trying to use hops from Russia's Chuvash region.
6: For the last 15 years we've been buying hops from Germany. The whole amount that we needed. This year we tried hops from Chuvashia. We bought a small amount to try it out. Generally, we're pleased with the quality, and we plan to buy a larger amount this year, here in
9: Chuvashia. Russia imports most of its hops from the US, Germany and Czech Republic. Some brewers say that the country can't produce the variety needed for more sophisticated beers. One told Reuters it would take years to develop all the necessary types. For now, though, many firms are enjoying the opportunity left by absent competitors. Vadim Deshyovkin is General Director at Afanasy Beer Factory.
4: There used to be Heineken, Guinness, Belgian left here, and all that was left for us were two or three, as it's now trendy to say, facings, positions on the shop shelf. Now our direct competitors have left, and there is more shelf space for us, and consumers are already turning their attention to our product.
9: Overall production certainly doesn't seem to have suffered. Official statistics show Russian beer output rose almost three percent over the first half of the year.
0: Vegetable producers in Europe may halt their activities because of the crippling energy crisis.
11: They are warning of shortages. Here's more. Emmanuel Lefebvre has farmed endives in northern France for 32 years. But he says this year there may be little point in continuing. Like other farmers in Europe, he has seen his energy costs soar. What cost him around $120,000 in 2021 has rocketed to almost one million, largely due to refrigeration costs.
9: As it stands, our energy costs will be multiplied by 10 if the price rises continue. It will no longer be bearable in terms of our production. Today we are really in a total impasse and we really wonder if we will harvest what is in the fields this winter. And
11: he's not alone. With the European Union highly dependent on Russian gas, energy prices have soared due to sanctions. As a result, vegetable farming has become so expensive in Europe that farmers across the continent are considering halting output. The impact is felt most steeply in more northerly parts of Europe, where greenhouses need to be heated. That means supermarkets could be forced to source more supplies from warmer countries, such as Morocco, Turkey, Tunisia and Egypt. In dives, of which France is the world's biggest producer, are among the most at risk, as they need a lot of electricity all through the production chain. Lefebvre says, in terms of energy consumption, endive producers have no other solutions. The crop accounts for more than 4,000 jobs in northern France. According to Stéphane Jacquet, the incoming president of France's Association of Endive Producers, forcing production would have an earthquake impact on employment in the region
9: we know very well that we have to save on energy find new energy sources they're aware of that they're ready to play their part but not by multiplying their bills tenfold that's inconceivable
0: coming up the conservative bloc looks set to win both houses of parliament in italy's sunday election and a woman could become italy's prime minister for the first time in history And a U.S. aircraft carrier arrives in South Korea for the first time in four years. The ship is joining South Korean forces to send a message to North Korea. Learn more in just a moment. Italy's conservative bloc looks set to win a majority in both houses of parliament in Sunday's election. The leader of the Nationalist Brothers of Italy would
12: therefore become the nation's first female prime minister. Here's more. Italy is going to the polls on Sunday after Prime Minister Mario Draghi's national unity government was brought down by party infighting in July. Here's what you need to know about the upcoming elections. Who are the main parties and personalities? Polls have consistently shown the country's right-wing bloc will win a majority in both houses of parliament. Giorgia Maloney, leader of the Nationalist Brothers of Italy, is seen as front-runner to become the nation's first female prime minister. Her party is widely expected to emerge as Italy's largest single party at Sunday's vote and lead an alliance of right-wing parties to a comfortable victory. The conservative bloc also includes the League Party, led by Matteo Salvini and Silvio Berlusconi's Vozza Italia. Salvini is the abrasive former interior minister who takes a hard line on immigration. In recent months, he has been eclipsed by Maloney. Berlusconi, who will turn 86 four days after the election, has struck off old age, ill health, sex scandals and a criminal conviction. The four-times prime minister is battling for a central role after the vote, even if his party is the junior partner now among its three main parties. Italy's electoral system favours groups able to form broad alliances, likely amplifying the right-wing bloc's victory. The right has also been helped by a division in the centre-left. There, attempts to form a broad electoral alliance by the main Democratic Party, led by former Prime Minister Enrico Letta, fell apart. That leaves three main groups fighting for votes. The PD and its allies, the Centris Azioni Party and the anti-establishment Five Star Movement. Led by Giuseppe Conte, the Five Star Movement withdrew support for Draghi's government in July, sparking divisions that led to this early election. His strategy has in part been vindicated by an improvement in Five Star's poll standings, but the party still faces a spell in opposition. And what are the main issues for voters? As in other European countries, the cost-of-living crisis has overshadowed other concerns such as immigration, crime and public services. The Conservative Alliance has called for tax cuts across the board to help Italians cope with rising prices. The Democratic Party wants tax reductions to be more targeted towards lower-income groups. Maloney has repeatedly voiced her support for Western policy against Russia after it invaded Ukraine. But league leader Matteo Salvini has called for the European Union to shield Italians from the economic side effects of sanctions imposed on Russia over the invasion. Polls are open from 7 a.m. local time on Sunday.
0: Italians will head to the polls on Sunday to elect a new government. But for the first time in history, those aged between 18 and 24 will enjoy full voting rights. Last year, the minimum voting age for the upper house was lowered from 25 to 18. So what do Italy's first-time voters want?
13: Oscar Jones is 19. He's a biology student in the capital,
9: Rome. I'll vote for the Green Party, even though they have very little chance of gaining a majority or even a significant percentage of the vote. Even so, I hope that they will slowly become more and more popular.
13: But while Oscar may be voting for the Greens, his friend Francesco Rantini will be voting for former Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte's left leaning Five Star Movement.
9: I'm still a student. I'm studying to become a lawyer. I think I will vote for the Five Star Movement because to me they represent the left. I think that with him, workers and students can have a heavier weight in Italian politics.
13: Oscar and Francesco are just two voices. But they're among 4.1 million people who have just been given the right to vote. And with the youth vote now more important than ever… The big parties have been targeting them with generous promises ranging from outlawing unpaid internships, introducing a minimum wage and help with rent and tuition costs. Despite this, pollsters expect a sizable number to abstain. And they're also anticipating a coalition led by the Nationalist Brothers of Italy party to be on course for a clear victory.
0: China is no longer an ideal destination for investments. That's according to a top European Union industry group assessment. Let's zoom in.
14: A top European industry group warned on Wednesday that companies are losing confidence in China. It said China's reputation as an investment destination was being eroded, and that a key reason for the shift is the country's, quote, inflexible and inconsistently implemented COVID-19 policy. China insists its zero COVID-19 policy is necessary to stop virus spread and maintain its health system. To measure China's investment appeal, the European Chamber of Commerce surveyed 1,800 of its member companies. Besides COVID-19, the chamber also listed other factors they say harm China's attractiveness. Those include the lack of reform in state-owned enterprises, the numbers of European nationals that have left China, and increasing political tensions between China and the West. The report said record numbers of businesses are looking to shift their investments to other markets. For now, the chamber still seems to consider working with China as a goal. As the report suggests, China should avoid what it called erratic policy shifts and deepen cooperation with Europe.
0: A U.S. aircraft carrier arrived in South Korea today for the first time in four years. It'll join South Korean ships in a military show of force, which officials say aims to send North Korea a message. Here's that story.
15: USS Ronald Reagan and ships from its accompanying strike force docked at a naval base in the southern port city of Busan. US strike group commander, Rear Admiral Michael Donnelly, said the US is standing firmly by South Korea.
2: So uh, we leave the messaging to the diplomats. Uh, Our interactions with the ROC Navy are tactically uh, purposeful in developing uh, interoperability to ensure credible combat power and an uh, opportunity for us to practice our tactics and operations and to demonstrate that uh, we stand together.
15: Its arrival is the biggest development yet, under a new push to have more U.S. nuclear-capable strategic assets up and running in the area to deter the North. South Korean President Yoon suk yeol wants more joint military exercises as a warning to Kim Jong-un, after North Korea conducted a record number of missile tests this year. Analysts believe Pyongyang appears to be getting ready to resume nuclear testing for the first time since 2017. In the past, North Korea has denounced previous joint drills as rehearsals for war and proof of hostility from Washington and Seoul.
0: If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, almost 10 million customers may have been exposed in the hack on Australian telecommunications provider Optus. And the pandemic has put thousands of elephants out of work in the Thai tourism industry. What's in store for these animals and their owner families? That and more on NTD News. Australia's second largest telecom communications company says it'll contact as many as 9.8 million customers whose personal data details were hacked.
13: Now, I do also want to just reiterate no passwords or bank details were taken. So there isn't a simple message like update your passwords or talk to your financial institution. Um, That's on the one hand good news, but on the
3: other hand, it's a more complicated message.
0: It's one of the country's biggest ever cybersecurity breaches. The CEO said she was angry and sorry that a possibly offshore-based entity had broken into the company's database of customer information. Hackers accessed home addresses as well as driver's license and passport numbers, among other data. Up to 40% of Australia's population may have been affected by the breach. But the CEO says that is the absolute worst-case scenario, and that the number is quite likely smaller than that. Optus is a major telecommunication provider and a target for cyber attackers. It routinely repels attempts to breach its systems. The CEO says this particular attack isn't similar to anything the company has seen before. Optus informed customers about the attack on Thursday. Police and cybersecurity authorities are still investigating. As the world struggles with soaring energy costs, a woman in Japan has figured out a solution. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on how she lives completely off-grid.
2: Shikako Fuji lives in Tokyo. She hasn't paid for electricity for the past 10 years. The 62-year-old generates her own electricity using four solar panels on her apartment's balcony.
3: I started this lifestyle because of the Great East Japan earthquake in 2011. Shortly after the quake, there were scheduled blackouts a few times here. So suddenly electricity was cut out, and I felt I should have my own electricity prepared. So I had one solar panel set up.
2: On sunny days, she cooks food in black pots on her balcony for a few hours. Cooking rice requires more heat so she uses a solar cooker.
3: On sunny days, a slice of fish can be cooked in around an hour, and for a chunk of chicken breast, it will take about an hour and a half.
2: When it rains, Fuji rides an electricity-generating bike for around 10 minutes. But her age and the summer heat is making her consider giving up this lifestyle.
3: Last year and this year, too, I could barely survive because of the heat waves. Drinks get warm while walking from a grocery store to my house. So just a few days ago, I finally bought a refrigerator.
2: Fuji is more optimistic about her options. Cleaner public electricity is available in Japan compared to a decade ago. Fuji recently bought a small refrigerator which is run by her solar panels, but she plans to continue solar cooking, even if she reconnects to the electric grid. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Thailand's elephant business is waning as the pandemic hit hard on tourism. Thousands of elephants have been left out of work. These animals and their families are facing a future full of uncertainty. Here's a look.
7: In a village in northeastern Thailand, Seripoin Satmak is live-streaming her two elephants on social media. A few hours of streaming brings in less than $30 in donations, just enough to feed the animals for one day.
3: (coughs) We are only hoping for tourists
4: to come back. If they come back, we might not be doing these live streams anymore. Some days we could not sell anything on the live stream. There was no security. If we get to go back to work, we get a stable income to buy grass for elephants to eat.
7: Kwang village is the epicenter of Thailand's elephant business. Families here have been caring for elephants for generations.
4: We love the elephants like they are a member of the family. We've been living with them for so many years. We've been through thick and thin together. Even now that we are unemployed, we cannot leave them for other jobs. No one will take care of them. We have to stay with them to look after them.
7: The Satmak family used to make money through elephant shows in the Thai city of Pattaya. The pandemic's heavy toll on tourism has forced them to return home, as have thousands of other elephant owners across the country. They now supplement their earnings by selling fruit. Only 400,000 tourists came to Thailand last year, while in 2019, the number was almost 40 million. Edwin Week, founder of Wildlife Friends Foundation Thailand, explains the reason behind the drop.
4: The main market for tourist camps with elephant riding is people from India, Russia and China. Now, of course, China is not opening up the borders before the end of this year. If they're going to do that, I mean, that's very unclear and I think almost impossible to predict. And then, of course, um, the Russians, because of the war, um, probably not going to be traveling in big, large numbers
7: either. Week estimates that at least 1,000 elephants in Thailand will be left without a proper income. He calls on the government to provide more support for local families.
0: Coming up, fitness classes tailored for seniors. In Australia, residents over the age of 90 can work out safely. A group of older residents in Australia have joined the fitness community. The group of 90 plus year olds signed up for what looks like an intense gym class. Let's take a look.
7: Kettlebells, spin bikes, and sit-ups. These workouts are no longer reserved for the young. A gym in Canberra, Australia's capital, is opening its doors to gray-haired patrons.
3: It is very, very good. I enjoy it very much. And always after, I feel very uplifted.
7: At 92, Zora Kasprick hits the gym every week in a new class for seniors. Despite her hearing impairment, she is able to lip read the coach's instructions.
5: The great
4: thing with exercise physiology and the research that's been done is that we've proven that people can get better at any age, even up to well into their 90s, you can improve someone's Uh, strength and muscle mass.
8: And
7: then back up. The new gym class aims to help older people build their strength and mobility, but safety is still the number one rule.
12: When you think about gym, you think like, ah, it's for young people, but actually, if you look at what we are doing with the seniors, you can see that they quite enjoy it as well.
3: A bit of self-confidence, because with our age, you will think it. Because you are always afraid something will not work.
7: And the benefits go both ways.
4: I've learnt lots of different uh, recipes and things like that from our, from our, our clients. I, I cooked something I've never cooked before from the Czech food uh, cuisine last week from something that Zora had taught me.
15: One more.
7: Ultimately, the program is designed to ensure that older adults can live independently for as long as possible.
0: The CEO of Airbus hints that the company is working on a bigger version of its A220 passenger jet, but will choose the timing carefully. The current jet was designed by a Canadian company.
13: Uh, you will probably hear about the 220-500. Uh, that makes a lot of sense for us at a certain point in time. We don't want to be right too early on that one. We still have a lot of work to do on the 220 before we get there.
0: An expanded A220 would be called the A22500 and would begin the process of replacing the 150 seat plus A320neo. That's the European company's cash cow and a major contender in the transatlantic war for sales with Boeing. Airbus has a commanding lead in the single aisle passenger jet market, most recently through the larger A321neo. The company's chief financial officer said the A321neo would see an increasing proportion of sales. But the industry's biggest single aisle variant, the delayed A321XLR, is not emerging as quickly as Airbus hoped. American Airlines is giving its long-haul fleet a makeover. The airline is adding new premium suites with privacy doors on its Airbus long-range aircraft and Boeing Dreamliners. American says the new suites will have more personal space, direct aisle access, seats that can lie flat and will include a chaise lounge option. The airline also plans to add more premium economy seating to its long-haul planes. Premium economy allows for double the amount of in-seat storage space and has larger in-seat screens as well as headrest wings for more privacy. American Airlines says it hopes to make the upgrades available to customers starting in late 2024. Americans do not get enough magnesium, and it shows through research. It's fairly easy to increase your levels through diet. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
10: Research indicates that up to 75% of Americans are not getting their daily recommended intake of magnesium. This may explain a lot about the overall health of the nation. Too little magnesium is associated with a host of potential health issues. It also plays a role in over 300 biochemical processes. Some symptoms of a magnesium deficiency might include poor sleep and trouble falling asleep, muscle spasms, tremors, lost appetite, poor coordination, cramping, anxiety, fatigue, and high blood pressure. Because of its massive reach with overall health, a lack of magnesium could play a role in the development of a number of symptoms. For sufficient magnesium intake, men and women need 420 mg and 320 mg, respectively. Nuts and seeds are some of the best sources of magnesium you can find including them in your daily routine, can bump up magnesium levels. Here are some of the best. Brazil nuts. A one-ounce serving, about six nuts, has about 26% of your daily recommended intake. You might not want to eat that many per day, though. You see, Brazil nuts are also loaded with selenium. And although it really happens from food sources, eating too many Brazil nuts could lead to selenium toxicity. Therefore, sticking to about two brazil nuts per day is recommended. Next, let's look at chia seeds. Eating an ounce of chia seeds can provide 23% of the magnesium you should eat each day. These seeds can easily be sprinkled into oats, yogurt salads, or smoothies. Aside from being a great source of magnesium, they are also high in fiber and omega-3s. Cashews Let's not forget about cashews. A single ounce of cashews or cashew butter can supply 20% of magnesium's daily target as well as a substantial serving of iron. Next is almonds. 19% of your daily magnesium needs to be satisfied with a small handful of almonds. One ounce can help you reach your target. These are surely not all the sources of magnesium at your disposal. Plenty of nuts and seeds can give you a sizeable serving and promote better health in multiple ways. If you're not feeling your best, try including more magnesium into your daily routine.
0: And that's all for today's program. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any feedback for our show, send us an email. We'll put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Chenny Wu.